if I was like, hey, come over, let's have brunch, and someone's like, ah, cool, I'll be in five minutes, and then they come over and two of just, you play video games with me. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. let's stop. <laughs> yeah. We're I'm trying to eat waffles. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode seventy of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the Weebs pre-greamer. Ooh, I'm Sam and I'm the Victor Idiot. <laughs> I'm Carol, and I write functions. Yeah. And today is October 25th, 2016. And I was just as a warning to our listeners, anything could happen on this show, especially all kinds of spooky things. Mm, Halloween. Because it's a very spooky time like of year. Like cussing. It, it's been mostly <laughs> profanity. Spooky cussing. It's spooky, spooky <laughs> swears. Um, uh, curses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there will be there will be curses. There will be cursing. Oh, uh, So we're back from what many what many would consider to be a rampage across the country, mm. from convention to convention, getting sick, getting diseases. Mm. Sam got married. All kinds of things. <laughs> All <laughs> horrible <laughs> stuff. Okay, he threw that one in there, just right? Uh, yeah, and his wife got diseases. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. She's fine, by the way. She's fine. She did. Yeah. So um, we're finally back in action. We're we're doing full time development, which is a weird feeling. It has been weird. Feels nice. Actually, just sitting down and programming for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, something That's that weird. we haven't gotten to do in about two months. Mm-hmm. Or three months. Three months. Yeah. Do we want to talk about our travels? Sure. Probably. Sure. sure. What did we learn? So we went to seven conventions. Well, starting with Indie PopCon back in yeah. May. Back in June. June. Yeah. Ju- at the end of June, we went to Indie PopCon, and then it was just an, an ever increasing cascade of convention nightmares um, <laughs> where we just kept going from convention to convention, and it was almost as if we were trapped in a Groundhog Day scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these conventions, a lot of game developers go to these. Right, so we went to PAX. Mm-hmm. We went to XPO in Tulsa, very big one. Um, we went to fuck. Where did we even go? Steam Dev Days. Steam Dev yeah. Days. Went yep. to Indie PopCon. We went to the Science Centers first Fridays, two different months in a row. You did the idea at Xbox thing. I did Xbox. Indicade. I went to Indicade. We went to Pixel Pop Festival here in St. Louis. Oh yeah, there you go. So uh, we we what we kind of learned is we might have overdone it a little bit, <laughs> um, and we're gonna probably reel it back so we have more time to actually work on stuff. So we're gonna just focus on GDC, which is in March, very good convention, mm-hmm. and PAX. I think that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Unless you know, like, because I I really enjoy going to conventions to experience it and to like network with people and to just kind of feel connected to yeah. other folks who are making stuff, but it's also a huge time consumption mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And if yeah. you're sending a whole studio. If, yeah, if you send more than one person to any given convention, it is a huge loss of energy and time yeah. and money. Yeah. So we're finally on the up and up now. We're back. Feels good. We're back. And uh, also Carol's a programmer now. Yep. Yeah. Hey, hi. <laughs> I, well, like I said, I write functions. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I, uh, do you want to talk about it? What's... What's yeah. The deal? Well, I think it's super interesting because when the last podcast we had, we were talking about our least favorite subjects in school. And I was talking about how I had never been able to like get through that fog of programming. Like I really like it. I like the programming methodology, but I'd never been able to actually learn how to program. And we all got back from traveling and we all sat down and we're like, you should be a programmer. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I should be a programmer. Based on what we've learned from everything that we've mm-hmm. done. Yeah. yeah. So like before I was doing a lot of PR and marketing, but we'd realized that over the course of the last few months when I've been here that a lot of those things could be automated. We can turn those into robots to do mm-hmm. my job for mm-hmm. me. And who better to turn, to create the robots to do my job than me? Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, and then you're out of here. You have a job. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm learning how to program properly now. And it's, it's great. It's a really awesome feeling. I'm finally like breaking through a lot of the things that I had previously felt were too difficult to and it was surprisingly fast for you too yeah i mean just compared to what your expectations were well i've been working within php and and like back-end web programs like that for uh programming languages for like years but had always just copied and pasted and never really fully understood what they did we found this one course on udemy and i just like sat down and watched it for a day and my face was like jaw dropped eyes wide <laughs> like pulling down the skin of my face and just complete disbelief that i could figure this stuff out yep so if it's you ever that, feel like bad. yeah if you ever feel like you can't do a thing you're wrong and you can do it that's Facts. right 
<laughs> You're just wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. Um, so what we wanted to do this week was just do a question blast attack. Is I that think. what we wanted to do? I thought Sam had a story to oh, tell. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got a story. Sam's got a story. Okay, I got a story. Okay, cuddle up to the fireplace. Uh, buckle your pants. <laughs> We're spinning a yarn. That's so, me, my crackling fireplace. Over the, over the sounds of Carol's crackling fireplace. <laughs> uh, so, so I went on. I went to Smoky Mountains for a honeymooning adventure, and they're really just foggy, right? They're, they're very foggy, they're foggy mountains. Yeah. Are there any volcanoes in that part of the? Vol- there are not. Okay, so just fog. Just, it's fog. just, just fog. fog. Why didn't they not, call them the foggy ones? It's a little less alluring. But <laughs> it's just fog. It sounds here. less dangerous, though. Anyways, <laughs> so we clambered around the mountains a bunch and got bit by various animals, as you were wont to do in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, not by a bear, though, but as an important side note to the story, uh, there was a bear attack there. What? A little while ago. And what had happened was a brown bear, which weighed about 300 pounds, approached a person. And said person, instead of, you know, making noises or trying to get it to go away, just wanted to just was take pictures of it on their phone. And then there's a picture that they actually they put up on this sign where it's the person pointing the phone straight down from their body where the bear's head is just like an inch away from their leg. No. And the bear bit them on the leg, as a bear would do when it got that close. And then they ended up having to euthanize the bear. Because, of course, it's how humans work. Because uh, once they get that taste of human blood. Tasted human legs. But it was crazy to me because, you know, they, they tell you, whenever you see one of these things, you stay at least 50 yards back. And then if it starts walking toward you, you got to start being big and wild and crazy. And this person... Instead of doing that, was like I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pic. Like they took a picture of it, probably an instant before it bit them on the leg. The only thing oh about God. this that is actually surprising is that they didn't take a selfie. Yeah, right. They might have taken a selfie. <laughs> Maybe they did. Yeah, who knows? In the hospital. Later. But it only bit them on the leg, and they still euthanized the bear. Yep. Because once they get the taste for this human flesh, is that even true though? That it is that, with tigers. I don't know if it's the case. Is with it bears. with tigers? But yeah. is it though oh really? Or is tigers just become thing people become say. human eaters. They become man eaters. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Once they eat one, they're like, oh, That's I could do tasty. that. Okay. And but I mean, is that well? It's because true, there's so many just... people around and they're very squishy. You know, they can't yeah. they can't run very fast. They can't protect themselves. The tigers are like, oh, free food. It's just yeah. everywhere. It's like a buffet. This reminds me of when I was in Colorado last year. And it was sort of like elk mating season. And apparently what happens is these bull elk just go out and they're enormous. And they have mm-hmm. these huge antlers and everything. And they make these really dumb noises <laughs> where they just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they just make these little weird squeaky noises. And then they just sort of aggregate a, like a mob of lady elks just around them. And the more... Because <laughs> nobody can resist that... <laughs> <laughs> I wish so you could see Seth's face when he does that. Oh my so, God. so then there's a bunch of other elks that come in and they're like, what's going on? I'm, how come all the elk ladies are congregated around this one elk dude? Mm. And then they get real mad about I it. I hate that dude. Yeah. And so, there, so there's a lot. There's like one super chilled out, just really relaxed, squeaky elk. <laughs> and then all the other elks are just really agitated. And... And so they said, don't go near any of the elk during this time. They'll be everywhere and just just keep your distance. And everywhere we went, we would see an elk out in a field doing its squeaks, trying to attract the ladies. And there would be just crowds of people who had parked their cars and pulled over and were starting to surround the elk, oh, no. taking pictures of it. And the circle just kept closing and closing. We're like, Whoa. we're just going to leave. We just got to get out of here. <laughs> people don't know about wild animals. Well, there's generally. a... There's Lone Elk Park here in St. Louis, and it's a similar situation where there's there's I think buffalo too, or like yeah, bison yeah. or something. I don't I don't know. The cow like there's kind of elk, beef monster. There's, there's large four legged hooved monsters, <laughs> and they say don't you know don't pull your car between two family members or you know be mm. aware. And I've been in the car before when the driver wasn't paying attention and a big giant burly hoofed beef monster starts charging <laughs> at the car. Yeah. And it's just they're, it's they're big and mad. It's terrifying. <laughs> Very instinct driven. Yeah. So after we saw this uh we saw this you know public warning, okay, don't get bit by bears. We're like, all right, so if we see a bear, we're gonna we're gonna avoid it. Avoid it. We got that one down. Uh one thing we didn't do though is avoid getting bitten by bugs right mm-hmm. you didn't use so, bug spray i mean we did but also it's fall and most of them are dead so it wasn't supposed to be a problem but the strongest ones have survived that's right the strongest Ooh. apparently most disease ridden ones survive <laughs> so we get home on uh, on saturday and diana looks down at her leg 
and a small mosquito bite had blossomed into, it looked like she got hit by a baseball in the leg. Ooh. So it was just like this big bruise and it started, it was kind of creeping. And anytime you have a bug bite that has like a big red patch around it and then it starts creeping, uh, you need to get some antibiotics stat because it's usually a blood infection of some sort of, or some, some sort of bacterial that's, infection. Yeah, that's not how a bug bite is supposed to behave. Exactly. So Go to the hospital. So we, uh, we call in some, some antibiotics and get her started on those. And it, it sort of, it doesn't keep growing. It stays just the size of the baseball and starts sort of changing colors, which apparently is good. So, yeah. <laughs> so we're just it waiting like, on it. Kind of like, it depends. like flashing rainbow colors. Yeah. Yeah. It depends yeah. what color it changes to. Very rapidly. Um, yeah. Kind of turn into a disco ball So situation. it goes, it goes into sort of like a purple mode, right? So purple with like red spots. And we're looking up, oh, you know, what is pretty. this? It's called cellulitis is the. Uh, I just, just means yeah. inflammation. Inflamed, yeah. yeah. And so we look it up and there's pictures, of course, and they're all gross. So I have to Google this, which is disgusting and go through it. And we're like, okay, I think this is healing up. And then on Wednesday morning, Diana wakes up and her brain is sort of fogged. And I didn't realize the extent of of it until we were in the bathroom. She dropped, she was filling up the soap dispenser and dropped the top of the soap dispenser and went down to pick it up and just missed it by like five inches or so. Wow. And I saw this. And so she, you know, hits her hand on the ground and then just moves her hand over and picks up the thing, puts it together. <laughs> didn't, probably didn't think twice. She about didn't it. even notice it. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> his yeah. brains are amazing. They're just like, I guess I missed. Yeah. I guess I, I missed. Like, we need to go to the hospital, I think. <laughs> and so we went to the emergency room and she had some, uh, basically a small case of, inflammation in the brain, meningitis oh caused God. by this uh, bug bite, which turned out to be Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which is lethal. So what can you do it over in the Smoky Mountains? The that's Foggy Mountains. The Foggy, the foggy Mountains. Mountains. That's the mountain. crazy thing. So it's called Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And the doctor was this very strange man, first of all. But secondly, he was like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, so it's, it's called Rocky Mountain spotted fever, but it actually is like 90% of the cases are from Appalachia. So south and southeast United somebody, States. So somebody just missed the mark on that. Yeah, one. like one person. I bet it was Christopher Columbus. He was like, like Fuck that guy. I'm pretty sure these are the rock. <laughs> he was I'm real gonna, good at geography. I'm gonna grow some sugar cane over here and name things wrong. Yeah. So can we petition to rename it to the Foggy Mountain Spider? They fever? really should do Foggy Mountain Spider. Foggy Mountain Spider. Because Foggy Mountain uh, spot. Yeah, apparently it sounds catchy too. It routinely doesn't get diagnosed early enough to actually make it stop from causing permanent damage because of. I, my guess is actually potentially because of the naming convention, which I think is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, People would look through the list of symptoms and be like, yeah. Rocky Mountains, but why? I wasn't in the Rockies. Mountains. I was in the so, smoke. Yeah. I should be fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, so anyways, we got, our, we got her some drugs. Everything seems to be fine. But I just wanted to do a public service announcement. A, don't take pictures of bears when they're about to bite you in the leg. And B, if don't you do get bit, elk either. Don't surround your elk. It. Especially elk that are going, and if you do get bit by a bug and it starts spreading into like a red rash, go to the doctor and get it scoped out because you might be dying. Yeah, probably. very quickly too. Yeah, you'll probably yeah. die. might definitely be dying. Okay, yeah. that was good. It was a good PSA. I feel like our listeners have probably had their lives extended by perhaps months. Some of them, on average, yeah. on average, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. our average listener lives now one week longer. Yep. Ooh, Enjoy nice, that week. Nice work. Because if one of them was going to die from one of these, now they won't. Maybe <laughs> in that week, what you should do is subscribe to our podcast on uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, yeah. or Google Play. And yeah. tell your friends all about yeah, it. Yeah, you're your going to be able to catch one more episode. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, that was smooth. <laughs> all right, let's move in. Uh, we got tons of questions, so let's just go But if we, if we answer them all, then we won't have any. It seems that exactly. every time we answer one, just more pop up in it's the sort place. of a whack-a-mole scenario. <laughs> like the high Don't maybe, let us run out of questions. Maybe listeners. with, yeah, their additional week while they're listening to the podcast, they can be formulating questions in their mind and then submitting yeah. them mm. either with their Bscotch ID or yeah. anonymously to podcast.bscotch.net. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or while they're leaving a rating on iTunes. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's, Th- nice that our, of questions. it's nice that our listeners are just so involved. Yeah, you know, we appreciate that. Yeah, it's nice. Thank you, listeners. Aww. All right, uh, so we got some questions from new people too because uh, we were on the Touch Arcade show last week, I believe. Yeah, uh, sometime. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Three yeah. weeks ago. Three weeks ago. It was a, good time. Lot, it was a while ago. So uh, we do have some new questions from new folks. So Woo! I want to hit a few of those. So new keys um, from new Fs. The first one, <laughs> I believe, is a new person comes from Tedge Seven Thirty Four who asks or says. So I've been waiting for Journey to become free since it was first released five million years ago. Which is a true fact. Uh, yeah, that was about Because right. I've always been on the fence. Are there any games on your wish list that you're in the same boat on? As in, you're just waiting for it to get just cheaper. 
because oh. you can't quite decide to buy it. Like all of them? I've got mm-hmm. 30 games in my PS4 wish list right now, and I mm. added them all up, and it's over $500 worth of games. And I'm like, how would I ever play all of that? So I you just can't. kind of wait for my favorite to drop just low enough, and I'm like, okay, we'll do this. So, I mean, well, so here's my thing, though. There are basically infinity games out there and they keep on coming, right? Yeah. So there's already more games than you can play anyway. <laughs> and so, so for me, if, if I'm on the fence about something, it's not a game of, of when is it cheap enough for me to be willing to give it a chance? It's now just, that's not a game I'm going to play because I've already got games I like that I'll play. Realistically, every single game that I bought for that reason, where I was like, Ooh, it's cheap enough. Now I'm going to give this one a shot. I've not given a fair shot. That's hmm. probably true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I don't. Now I, I buy games full price usually just if I want them. That's fair. And buy fewer games. I do. I do similar. I would say. Yeah. For the games that I really care about, I I have to interject though. Waiting on Journey was a horrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the greatest games of all time. What have you done? And deserves to be played regardless of don't its wait price. Anymore. Yeah, the thing is, if, yeah. yeah, if you're if you're really excited about a game or you've heard a lot of good stuff about it, just get it. If you have to wait for financial reasons until. A, you can get it, wait, and then get it, but don't just kind of keep it on the back burner for all of time, always having it in the back of your mind, thinking maybe someday, just decide if you're going to get it or not and what you're willing to pay yeah. and then wait for it to be that price. Boom. My, yeah, the only time I'll ever wait for a game is probably for reviews to come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like if, I, if I'm on the fence about it, it's probably because I've been hearing hype about it and then I'll wait, you know, a couple of weeks for, for critics to come in and also player reviews and everything and then, then make a decision. Yep. And yeah. that's usually what I'll do as well. Yeah. I think part of, the, part of the weird thing about paying the full price or paying an earlier price than a sale is that you also want to kind of, you want to kind of be on the ground floor of whatever the, you know, the zeitgeist is at the time. So when, when everyone was playing um, Stardew Valley, for example, mm-hmm. and it just took over everything for a good three or four weeks, it was actually really fun to be part of the culture. Part of the yeah. culture. Yeah. yeah. And just diving Pokemon into go and Pokemon go is the same free, way. but you um, know, same, same principle. So you do miss, uh, that's the sort of hard thing, right? Because whenever you're evaluating a game for the hype, like okay can i get it will it be terrible you know no man's sky sort of situation yeah. or is it the case where <laughs> it's a it's a community and it's gonna die out at some point because games have a, have a life yeah. um well it's part of why i ran out and bought a psvr because i'm mm-hmm. like i want to experience this everybody's talking about it this is part of my industry it's so cool right. and then i played it for two hours and i'm still sick Right. <laughs> like I still have a headache from two days ago yeah. from playing it for two hours. Yeah. It's an early technology. It's, you know. <laughs> but I think it's actually, but this hype concept, right. Of saying like, you know, I want to get away from the hype to see what the game really is. I don't think really games exist just in isolation outside of hype. Right. Mm. Cause you're going to have more fun if the world around you is hyped about the thing that you're playing. True. So you're actually guaranteed to have a worse time playing the game if you do it when the hype is. Well, think about it now. So why so not play it when everybody's pumped about it? Just buy into also the, just be go, pumped just about dive it. Dive right into the hype. Yeah. Tub. Who cares if it turns out you were a little overhyped and enjoyed the game more than you should have, which is a stupid thing to even. Because well, it's also the case that mm. if if all of the people you know are playing the same game, then there's yeah, all kinds of stuff it. you get to talk about. Yeah, like, embrace about, the social culture. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think about Pokemon Go because the weekend or the week that it came out, I was like, fine, I'll get this. Get on my phone and then go walk around and ran into people. We're shouting across the street where you see someone looking at their phone and they kind of look over at you and you're like, don't take my gym. Other. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had we went and we were chatting with a guy while he was doing a gym battle and it was, you know, random strangers and stuff. And I don't think that would... I know the player base for Pokemon goes dwindled way down from its original. Yeah, you know, it's it's now unlikely that if you look across the seat, street and see somebody on their phone that they're playing Pokemon. Exactly. So let me ask you this yeah. though, because this is now making me wonder. Because mm. there's been a lot a, a large number of games that I have accumulated where I bought them because they seemed interesting on Steam or whatever, um, and then I'll talk to somebody after the fact and I'll t- I'll ask around and nobody's heard of it or nobody's really played the game. Mm-hmm. And kind of on the flip side of the coin we're talking about, that kind of diminishes my interest, right? right. In the game, yeah. if, if nobody yeah. really cares about it. And so I'm wondering if if the best move to get a, a good book club, no, yeah, to get enjoyment out of a game games. is to like, yeah, get a bunch of friends together and all buy the same game at the same time. And then sit down and talk about it. Yep. Diana what? and I were just talking about this because I she po- game club. Pokemon Sun and Moon's coming out next month. Yep. And I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this and we're gonna need to go play a Pokedex together. Naturally. So I uh, want you to take my old DS and try the previous game so that we can make sure this is a good investment 
for you. Otherwise, I'll just try to recruit, you know, someone else to Brandis. play this game with me. And she was getting into it. She was like, oh, man, I really want to talk to you about this power plant experience I just had or whatever else. But you haven't you didn't play it recently. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea. You know, I have no yeah. idea. And you're not, yeah, then she has to go back and explain the whole game and why everything matters. I think every console that I've bought in recent years was because there were friends playing a game on that console that I wanted to experience it with them. Like, that was why I bought my 3DS was Animal Crossing. That's why I'm playing WoW Legion right now. Right. And it's it's interesting, the book club idea, I've had that conversation with a lot of friends. And actually, uh, my friend Josh Boykin from Intelligame is planning on starting sort of like a global book club and trying to do this community thing around playing the same games and then having a critical discussion about them. And I think there's a lot of possibilities there to really push games forward as a cultural medium yeah. as long as you can kind of create a community around chatting this about is them. kind of like this is almost what youtubers and twitch streamers are doing except it's all happening live and mm-hmm. so that they're, they're, you and don't three get times have, a day three times a day and then <laughs> and then you're kind of watching somebody else experience it but if instead it was exactly that where everybody just like a book club you all kind of settle on the thing and then if it's multiplayer you play it together but otherwise you play it independently and then you come come back and talk about it talk mm-hmm. about the experience we should yeah. probably do that in company anyway. Just yeah, ourselves. We yeah. That would be a worthwhile thing to we do. We kind do. of do. We kind of do, but we haven't sometimes. done it. Yeah, not in a structure. Not really way. officially. Not officially, yeah. no. It's like when we all happen to play the same game, it's like, what'd you think? Oh, that's neat. <laughs> it was neat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I agree. Neat, neat, neat. That's how we talk to each other in the office. <laughs> yeah. It's code of conduct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was great, Kyle. That was great. Yeah, yeah, this I this is it. our podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of this room, we talk like people from the 1920s radio. Yeah, it hurts my jaw to talk like this. I just, yeah, I really like, prefer to talk like this, you know? <laughs> you, get to, you get to swing your mouth around yeah. a lot. <laughs> <Swing> <laughs> it. Uh, which does segue into another question. <laughs> what you got? From BSB333, who asks our nice. thoughts on Nintendo Switch. Mm. Since you were just talking about the DS, etc. Yeah, oh yeah, we just talked about okay. some... Uh, what is the Nintendo Switch? News. All right. So if you, haven't, it. if you haven't checked it out yet, there's a there's a trailer for the Nintendo Switch, which is Nintendo's new console to replace or be the next console version. Console slash tablet slash handheld. That's exactly the thing. So the weird thing about it is the Switch essentially has a detachable controller. Controllers. Sides. Yeah, yeah which are actually two controllers. Yep. Um, that you can pop onto the console itself and pick up, and the console is actually a tablet. And so you can essentially like lock it and sl- you slot it in and then go rip the controllers off and sit down on your couch and play from your couch. Mm-hmm. And uh, while it's slotted into the console, then it goes to your TV. It also has a normal size controller, I think, that you can use. Yeah, you can like plug it into. Yeah. Um, and then if you say in the trailer for the Switch, if your friends are out barbecuing mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I'll go be around you, but I don't want to participate. <laughs> 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 you can take your little controller, break it in half, and then slam it down on the switch, pick the switch up, and now you have basically like a really big... Like a giant... Like a giant Vita. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like an board. iPad with buttons. Yeah, with actual controllers. Um, it has a little kickstand, so you can prop it up on things. Mm-hmm. And-, and then you can separate the controllers, and so you can actually give half of the controller to a buddy mm-hmm. and then play a multiplayer game. Yeah. So uh, it's really... It's an interesting... Well, I was cracking oh, up no. watching it because in the commercial, there's two things about the commercial that I thought were funny. Um, one was the commercial that, that Nintendo put out opens up with a guy, he's playing Zelda, mm-hmm. some Zelda game, and his dog is there, and his dog is like, let's go outside. You know, <laughs> his dog actually I mean, that's talks. basically what he's conveying, right? <laughs> uh, I'm anthropomorphizing the dog. So... <laughs> So the dog's like, hey, let's go outside, buddy. And uh, the guy's like, no, nah, fuck you, dog. I'm playing Zelda. And he's just sitting there staring at the screen. And then finally the dog is like, dude, let's go. And he starts barking a whole bunch. And the guy looks at the dog. He's like, oh. And then he goes and he, like, takes his console off the shelf. And he walks out the door with his dog while just staring at his game, continuing to play the game. And then it cuts to him at the park with his dog. And now he's just sitting on a bench, continuing to play the game while the dog is just running around by itself, <laughs> being ignored. Yeah. And of course, this is all being, there's all this like really nice, like piano music playing the whole time about how like fun and, you know, mm-hmm. you could take your games anywhere kind of a thing. And meanwhile, this poor dog is just being neglected. It's and then the same thing goes with like the friends. The- but I guess it's a step up, right? Because now it's being neglected outside. <laughs> It's so or amazing. You collect your pets anywhere. It feels like an episode of Black Mirror where it's this, yeah, right. it's this future right. dystopia of how fucked up our lives have become thanks to the thanks to the wonders of technology. Well, it's a uh, Wally. 
Yeah. Where yeah. the people are just floating around in these chairs with a screen right in front of their face and they <laughs> never look I, around them. <laughs> that's how I feel with the VR headset is like I just kind of melted into my couch and was like, this is weird. <laughs> Yeah, like VR is the furthest extreme of that, right? Where you're like, I don't want to see, I literally don't want to see anything yeah. around me. I want yeah. to be, I'm done. I'm done with it. Yeah. The interesting thing to me is that I think in, in all of these new tech commercials, if you watch them and just think about it from that dystopian perspective, uh, all of them have like really dark undertones on accident. So for example, when the girl, <laughs> there's the girl who gets called over from her apartment and she's playing on her switch and her friends are on a rooftop nearby barbecuing. And she's like, okay, I'll come over. And so she grabs the switch and then goes over there. She doesn't just come over. She grabs her she game console first. With her. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I mean, that's good. That's cool that you can do that. But but also look at your friends. If someone showed, yeah. <laughs> if I was like, hey, come over, let's have brunch. And someone's like, ah, right, cool, I'll be there in five minutes. And then they come over and two of just, you play video games with me. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Well, stop. <laughs> yeah, like I'm trying to you eat all, waffles. <laughs> you all want to watch me and Sarah play video games? Yeah, right. Like, yeah, and actually in the commercial, there were two of them playing the game, and then everybody else was just crowded around trying to look. Right? Well, and also high fiving, high fiving for some reason. Yeah. Because so we're on a rooftop watching yeah. video games. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, I mean. So this is what young people do, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty sure. Well, it's adults. interesting to me because I think, so I'm personally, I'm actually, I thought, I thought the Switch was very exciting. Okay. It's a cool thing. And. Yeah, I actually, I agree. I'm excited cool. to see what happens yeah, with it. Yeah, jokes aside. I do. It is always comical to me how, how dystopian all of the commercials for any piece of tech feels. Because I think uh, the, the other one that always rubbed me in a very funny way was the, uh, one of the watches. I thought it was one of the smart watches. One of the smart watches where it's all these people. It's the same sort of thing. All these people who are just beautiful people in beautiful settings, doing all these beautiful things like going for a run or hanging out with friends. But then the whole time in the commercial, as far as the commercial is concerned, the person's just looking at their wrist. They're just ignoring all all the awesome shit around them. (laughs) I got to track my steps. It just cracked me up. (laughs) But I'm very excited about it. And I think it's, the response has been interesting because analysts uh, on the games industry side are, of course, being very negative about the whole thing. And they're saying, oh, who's this even for? No one's going to buy this. This is weird. Ugh, idiots. And then, <laughs> but if you look at the audience side, I, I have seen very few people actually have any negative response. Well, but here's the it. thing about it is, is this is, to me, the first console that was designed with the player in mind. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, there's, yeah, like I think the Xbox controller has become good. Right. Right. But most of these, and same thing with the PlayStation controller and so on, but it seems to me that most of these experiences have been designed like focusing on the hardware, make sure the hardware is as good as possible, uh, and really not giving a fuck at all about the actual experience of using it. Yeah. And it's all the same experience, ultimately. Right. And it's all, and that's why consoles are effectively just the same. It's just a thing you plug a controller into and then sit down. Let me tell you, let me tell you who this is for. Hmm. I was on the airplane. We were going to Steam Dev Days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was a gentleman sitting next to me, and he got out this giant, Beefy gaming computer. What? And he pops it open and he starts playing Rocket League. Ooh, hey. And I was like, hey, you want to play some 2v2s? <laughs> and uh, and he's like, you you got a controller? I was like, fuck yeah, I got a controller. <laughs> so, so I got a, I got my controller out of my backpack and plugged it in. And then we were both just sitting there playing Rocket League on there. <laughs> awesome. So the Switch is made for you. Yeah, because yeah, the thing is, if you had the Switch, then you could actually both like be sitting there next to each other. Because apparently, according to this, you know, the commercials that have been put out, they keep showing people having all, a bunch of Switches brought together. Mm. And they're playing games with each other, but still on independent consoles. Mm. So let's say we're in the airplane, Sam, you're sitting across the aisle over on the other side and I'm over here and I'm like, Hey, let's play some whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe, it's maybe between. rocket leagues on the switch. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. 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 And so we can both fire up the game and then play with each other across the airplane. Yeah. I was telling Adam cool. earlier, like this is going to change the game developers conference, not because of the talks, but because of the downtime, like, yep. they, yeah. like GDC is like, you'll take your 3DS and you'll street pass so damn many people. Mm-hmm. And like, everybody's just in a corner playing their DS somewhere and having something like this that you can share an experience with is just going to blow those 30 minute time breaks out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. My only concern is battery. Yeah. I'm curious to see how they, long But they always stay lasts. hardware light. You know, so that they mm-hmm. don't, so they're, they can run games because they have games that are just very efficient and don't take many, many resources. They don't focus on graphics and stuff, which means that they can get, they can squeeze a lot of My concern life. is losing the damn controllers. Yeah. Because they're not, 
I'm sure you can buy new ones for 50 bucks a piece. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's two little pieces. Buy a few backups. They're like, I mean, they fit in the palm of your hand, basically. Yeah, they're they're very small. Yeah, I did feel bad to watch some of those people in a commercial playing, Mm -hmm. holding just one tiny little controller with their hand all cramped But it's actually not too different from playing on a smartphone, you know, as far as hands are concerned. Well, but it's significantly better because it has tactile buttons. Well, let's get into that. So, next question comes from Oguz Who's. <laughs> who's? It's who's? Oh, guess who's? What do you think of mobile gaming? And we get asked this on occasion, which is why I want to touch base again, since who, however long ago it was last time. He says there's even early access games and games that are pre-order-ish nowadays, which is true. Google has gone into a bit more of doing some early access and sort of pre-launch stuff than uh, was available a long time ago. So where and I guess where Super do you think Mario we're at? Run is now? The, I think the first pre-orderable mm-hmm. game on iOS. Oh, it's pre-orderable. Uh, or I know it's pre, coming soon. Yeah, it's like, alert. I guess you can right. add it to a wish list. Yeah. So I have a I have an idea about mobile gaming okay. that maybe you guys agree with, maybe not. Um, which is so mobile gaming is. Really interesting because it's it's the first time that a billion people at least accidentally have a thing that they can really, really easily get and play games on. Mm-hmm. Right. So it used to be the case, you know, a lot of people have computers, but uh, games on computers prior to mobile gaming almost invariably cost money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you have this huge surge of people who have a device that's capable of gaming. They have it on hand all the time. People have downtime waiting at the dentist office, you know, whatever. And there's all kinds of free games that they can put on their phone to fill that time, right? And so you have this new generation of people coming into the gaming scene who otherwise would have never even conceived of Mm -hmm. playing video games, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But if you look at the kinds of games that these people are playing, they're simpler, right? They're not high skill games. They're not super complicated games or things like Candy Crush and and things like that. Um, But I think that's, that's cool because like that makes it accessible for them. Mm -hmm. But if you, I think if you look back at the trajectory of what, console gaming has done yeah, exactly or whatever it's been yeah it's done exactly the same thing where it started really really simple though it didn't start free it didn't start free but it did start simply yeah because nobody for starters the hardware couldn't handle it just like smartphones yep. and uh, nobody knew how to play or make video games yep. right and just so, like smartphones yeah Right. So, yeah. So, so it all started in the same place. I think you're seeing a much more accelerated progression because mm-hmm. uh, smartphone game developers can now look into other areas of the industry and other like, you know, games on consoles and stuff and use those as a model of try to, trying to make games a little bit more intense and whatever. But, um, or have come from those fields. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's cool because it's bringing in a new generation of people and those people as time progresses, if they get more, more and more into gaming, they're going to be looking for a lot more interesting game experiences, um, which to me actually leads to the problem with mobile mm-hmm. gaming, which is one of, of discoverability, yeah. which is, you know, you have, if you have one and a half billion people with smartphones potentially playing games and you have two places they can get them basically, right? So you have Google play and you have the app store. Um, and then the entire industry is defined by those companies, by those companies and basically how they decide to show games to people. Because yeah. you would think that in a market of, you know, we have several thousand games coming out a week on mobile and we have a billion something people who could play those games. And you would think, hey, there's probably a game for everybody around here. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a billion people playing games uh, out of a thousand games that come out at any given time, assuming, you know, it's evenly distributed, a million people could play each of those games and there would be no overlap. No, it's nothing like evenly distributed. No, it's nothing like that. But the point but is, math. but the point is <laughs> there's a shitload of people with yeah, yeah. devices. Right. Um, and even though there's a lot of games coming out, there's not that many games compared to how many people could be playing them. Yes. So it's really hard to find those people though. Why is that? Yeah. Which is, it's a platform, it's a, it's a platform problem. The company, you know, the, the company's running the show problem, which we talked about in the past as well. Yeah. Right. But, but to me it is, but I think this gets to that point that, is kind of interesting, which is that people, especially those who sort of disparage mobile gaming, they have defined mobile gaming as what Apple and Google provide to people on their smartphones. Like those are synonymous, right? So when you think of mobile gaming, you think of small free-to-play puzzle games that pull money out of you that you get via one of those two app stores, right? Okay. But there's no difference between mobile gaming and any other kind of gaming. There's just an interface difference. Smooth pane of glass versus... A smooth pane of glass, versus, right? Buttons. <laughs> right, there, but there actually isn't there's no such thing as mobile gaming in a meaningful way, right? What it actually is, is a different market. 
which is dominated by panes of glass, right? And the other markets are dominated by things that go through a controller or things across a keyboard. Yeah. So, well, and, and the, the games that tend to get the most visibility are the ones that are more accessible to people who otherwise wouldn't be that interested in games. Right, because now um, the market is defined by this huge group of people who didn't come into it to play games. Right. right. Yeah, if you, yeah. If you buy a, you know, if you buy an Xbox for 400, 500 bucks or whatever... Yeah, um, you buy sure a PlayStation. Buy some games. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you you bought that presumably to play games. You know, you're not, you you can still watch Netflix on it, but you could also get a you know a simple hundred dollar you know TV console thing for that. So if you bought one of these things, you're probably going out of your way to play games. Mm-hmm. That's not true with phones. Mm-hmm. So right. it just kind of defines um, how things get promoted differently and what things get developed differently. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a weird market. I would also argue that the people who grew up playing games and who are used to and comfortable playing games are most used to and comfortable playing games either on PC or on console yeah. and are less comfortable playing games on mobile. And so I think you, the people who are more drawn to playing mobile games are the ones, like you said, who were kind of, their gaming was was raised up from a mobile landscape as opposed to a different kind of um a, a different kind of landscape of gaming so there's they're more used to the uh, puzzle games they're more used to yeah. the lightweight casual games um and so trying to market something that would be more traditionally considered a console game or a pc game to a mobile gaming market there's there's definitely some disparity there yeah and i, and I think we kind of ran into that a little bit when we uh launched flop rocket Flop Rocket is a really, really hard game, and we got it featured uh, on the front page of the App Store um, back in February of 2015. 15? Um, Probably. And mm-hmm. and yeah. it was it was awesome. We got tons and tons of downloads from it and stuff, and um, a lot of good response from it. But it was also obvious that because we you can track sort of like your uninstall rate, and a lot of people came into that game and then co- very quickly left because... <laughs> Because when you take a game that's really, really hard like that, that's very skill-oriented, and you broadcast it just to just a general mass audience, um, and it's a free game, so people aren't really self-selecting into it, then you run into the problem that you don't necessarily run into with a much more laid-back kind of puzzle game, which is the game tells people they're bad at it immediately, and that's that's hard to hear, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and people leave. Um, so, yeah, as, as far as there being those kinds of games on mobile, they're everywhere. They're all over the place. You just have to go find them. Mm-hmm. So they're generally not going to get featured that much. So, yeah, it's interesting though. Cause I, I think it is very cool that this new market has come up that has basically brought games, people who otherwise wouldn't be playing them, but I don't think it's going to serve very often as sort of a gateway into the more traditional kinds of games or the stuff that we were all raised with as players of games. Right. Um, because people are being brought up because if, if you get a device and don't play games and you go into your app store and then you see a game that's free that you've heard about, you're like, Oh, I'm going to go try this. Right. And you go try it and maybe you have a little bit of fun with it. And so now you, every once in a while you just look out for games. Right. But you're, you haven't been taught that games are a thing to value. Okay. Right. So, so you're basically being trained from the first they're just time. Kind of these free, time these free little time wasters. Right. Yeah. So, so you're being trained the moment you get into gaming for the first time in your life, basically on accident, right? Games because are the valueless. Have, games don't have value. Yeah. They're just a thing you download yeah. onto your smartphone. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is true. I mean, for most the most of just kind of the average person that I talk to who do, wouldn't define themselves as a gamer and mostly got into games on their phone, they are. They're playing those time wasters, and they they admit it. Like that's the intention of what they look for games that do. They want a free game. Like the pooping game. Well, this this actually reminds game. me of when we uh, when I was um, signing up for a gym membership, chatting with the gentleman who was um, sort of organizing all that stuff, and he and I was wearing my butterscotch shirt, and he said, "What's going on with your shirt?" And I said, well, <laughs> "We're a video game studio." Um, this shirt gets a lot of questions. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and uh, and he said, "Oh, you make you make games? That's cool." He's like, "What? Are there any that I could play?" And and as well, our our most uh, recent, our most popular one is is Crashlands. I came out in January, and so he looked it up and saw that it was five dollars. <laughs> and like while I'm sitting there, he's like, "Do people pay money for this?" <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Yeah, because it costs." It costs five dollars, so I mean, yeah, but they have to, yeah, they pay he, for it. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not. Yeah, gonna well, five dollars. <laughs> but to me, that's exactly it. Is, is we always make jokes about this, right? But the fact is that that's, that guy that's a, he the, doesn't play games, right? And he so yeah, he doesn't. The at games all. that he played were the ones where he opened up his phone, like everyone's talking about Candy Crush and sending invites on Facebook and all that shit, right? So he goes and finds that thing. 
You're like, oh, I'll just give this a try. And you go get, and that's all you do. You just give these things a try, right? Uh, so it doesn't become like your passion, right? You know, and it's not designed it's to. It's just a thing you do sometimes. So I think to me, that, that's the interesting sort of the weird thing that's all, you know, it's almost, uh, I don't know, almost an opposition about mobile gaming is exactly that that it brings new people in and then it encourages them to not really become gamers in the way that we were brought up thinking of gamers, right? So the but, answer is what? For the platform holders to promote the... Yeah, I mean, they've, they've, they've created the market the, and they've, they've told their user base that games aren't worth anything. Yeah, right. and so I, I, think, I think we're starting to see trends away from that. Yeah. Um, we're, we're seeing the mobile stores starting to feature premium games more, a lot more, Especially if you consider that a very, very tiny percentage of games that are made are pay up front games yeah, and yeah, most yeah. games are free. But if you look at even say like the front page of the app store, probably half the games that get featured are, are premium games. Mm-hmm. Which so, is great. Yeah, yeah, it's good because I think they've realized that by spending years and years cultivating this idea that games are free, apps are free, everything is free, free, free. It makes it really hard for for developers to actually, you know, make mm-hmm. a living and make good products that they can sustain over over time. Right. So, yeah, I guess the answer is it's pretty complicated. There's a lot of things going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the, There's a with lot the happening. Early access stuff from Google Play. And I, I'm, I'm just wondering if things are going to trend more, actually trend more into a Steam direction on those two platforms in particular. Um, because the discoverability is so bad and because the storefronts themselves are the ones who can solve the problems. And Steam's already shown that, like, they're, they're scaling up how their discoverability systems work to handle the influx of games that they get, which is like 12 a day. Yeah. You know, yeah, but lovely. they're doing a much better job already. Yeah, uh, and they've shown that from doing it, they've had like twenty percent increased revenue, mm. you know, across the board. Yeah, because they're um, showing games that people want yeah, to the, the people, people who, who want, want them. them. Yeah, so it's um, a combo thing, right? If the stores actually do, and, and discoverability isn't some completely impossible thing, right? Yeah. It's like it's not a solved problem; it's a problem you can work towards if you decide to try to. And so, if the app stores actually start doing that, and and then also on the front page, the thing that people land on who aren't even necessarily gamers, right? But the place that they go and they're looking for apps and stuff. If that thing starts to convey the idea that games and apps and so on have value, then you can start to turn that ship around, right? And we can actually turn mobile gaming into a space where there's just as cool of stuff as there is on everything else because the hardware is, is already in a lot of ways not a limitation anymore. Yep. And soon it won't be anything like a limitation. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of interesting because when you take a look at like the iBooks store on iOS, mm-hmm. the the free books are all garbage. And so, and they're not, they're not really promoted very much. Yeah. I mean, who's going to write a book and then give it away? Right. Exactly. Who's going to make a game and then give it away? Most people. (laughs) Because that's what the market requires. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I like, I think, you know, looking to the way that the iBook store is structured and, Mm -hmm. you know, really, really pushing NYT bestsellers and, you know, these, these great books that are valuable and Mm -hmm. people are going out and, you know, hunting down and really pushing the top paid charts as yep. opposed to the these top free charts, which is just like the Kama Sutra and, you know, like the, right. <laughs> the right. Bible right next to each other. <laughs> uh, like, I think you, I think we could see a lot of change, you yeah. know, yeah. on the yeah. platform. It's going to, it's just going to take some time to, yeah. un, to undo the past not eight, nine, whatever years of yeah, but it's, it is interesting because that means that the culture of these companies is what defines the culture of an entire generation of of gamers, mm-hmm. yep. of consumers. But my best, no, my no pressure, about Apple and Google. But <laughs> yeah, well, get your shit together. It's <laughs> almost, think about it, but it's almost guaranteed it. they didn't think about it because no, probably I mean, not. It's not like they knew what they were. Well, doing, and they're prior you know? drivers, of course, to make as much money for the shareholders as possible, yeah. right? So, uh, and those things don't have to be in opposition. In fact, as Steam has shown, probably are not right. But it's easy, especially given that those big companies are mostly run and controlled by people who probably aren't gamers, right? Mm -hmm. And they're making business decisions where they're thinking about things as software, not as cultural artifacts. Mm -hmm. Then, then yeah, of course you would think make stuff as cheap as possible so that people get it. Right. Because we just want as much content available on our devices. Right. As we can. It's all about the content. All right. Next question comes from Proteus. Who says, Sam, you did a sweet voiceover for the trailers. Carol, you busted out a great Batman impression and transatlantic ac- accent. I like the transatlantic. Yeah, that's good. On the last episode. Can we expect there to be more voice acting or can we, can we expect there to be voice acting in future Bscotch games? Mm. If so, will the Bscotch team voice the characters? Uh, I would love that. Let's talk about this <laughs> just briefly. There's a technical problem yeah. with uh, voice acting, which is that as it turns out, voice acting uh, or just having sound files. Audio files are big. They take a shitload of memory. 
Um, yeah. And I don't think most people realize this when we got a bunch of questions about this in Crashlands. We had people be like, oh, how come you guys didn't, uh, didn't voice everything? Uh, and that's kind of like the same question where someone's like, oh, why isn't this multiplayer? Here's um, a question. Hmm. Could we solve this by having optional voice work that only streams, like voice files that only stream from the internet if you're connected to the internet and otherwise don't play if you're not connected to the internet? Mm. If we want to pay for that bandwidth. If you yeah. want to pay yeah, for that bandwidth. Because <laughs> yeah. we'll have to yeah. host it somewhere. Yeah, true, and assuming true. assuming there's no lag, so you would like talk to a character and all of a sudden <laughs> it would like stop and they'd be like... <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, that's um, fair. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, it's the kind of thing where you need to just have the files either downloaded all at once uh, and then therefore available or bundled as part of the app. Yeah, so when you're downloading um, these big AAA games, a lot of what you're downloading is an enormous number of sound files. Yeah. yeah. And then texture pages. Like, yeah, I think, that's I what think Crashlands is 60 megabytes, and uh, we have what, about 80,000 words of mm -hmm. stuff in the game, um, which is like a... Those are mostly external, though, as half a megabyte. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that comes up to 500 kilobytes as yeah. of of story content. But yeah, if we were to do that in in audio, I don't even know how how long It'd would be it take. Gigs, wouldn't it? It would, be, yeah. it would be a shitload. It would probably do at least a 10 times uh, size increase of the game. So. There will be a time when everybody has infinite storage space on their device. But even that, because the other thing though is that it's really easy to type a sentence. Mm -hmm. to put some dialogue in it, right? It but takes, to hire a voice like a actor second. and have them come to the studio. And yeah, <laughs> and then record it and then make sure it sounds good and then put it in and then do that in fucking like five languages or whatever, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, Typic Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Typically voiceover isn't isn't re-recorded that often. No, but that does mean though that the game has to work just fine with text only, right? Yeah. It has to be there. It has to. Or text that, is that sort has, of a that's minimum. already required, yeah. right? Yeah. So you can make your text and then... For English speakers only, because that's what most people can afford. You're absolutely right, especially the more you have. Uh, then your English speakers get to listen to your dialogue that you hire. That, I mean, the, yeah, the investment that goes into that is just immense. Yeah. Um, it's not just talking, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not like, like right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not just somebody chatting. I think we were talking about this earlier because of the whole uh, voice actor yeah. guild strike. Oh, that yeah. Kind of oh yeah, thing. So it's kind of in the news right now. It's worth looking into. Um, but uh, but we were talking about this because there was some comment about how some one of the big AAA games like pulled out their dialogue. It was as the, written text, and it was just like the stack of a uh, hundred pages or whatever. Right? No, it was thousands. Or of thousands. Yeah, of pages. if you looked at the the voice acting for um, Star Wars: The Old Republic, which is an MMO that has fully voiced every quest in the game, yeah, and there's branching dialogue in every quest. Um, and yeah, they had thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of dialogue. Yeah. If you look at a movie script, like, so think about like, oh, like my favorite movie, like Finding Nemo or something, and it's animated and it's all voice acted. Yeah, that was probably like 50 pages. Yeah, there's probably a total of like half hour of voice work per voice actor, right? Not not like that they actually did the work because they had to do a lot more to get that half hour, right? right? Yeah, but, yeah. But the actual amount that appears there is like half an hour. Oh, physically sitting there speaking the lines. Right. Yeah. And of course they have to redo the lines a thousand times. And, you know, there's, and there's, right. there's, there's a number of characters yeah. that have like six lines. Yeah. You know, come so in, do it in the afternoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, think about how much effort goes. Yeah. To do like six lines, it probably takes an afternoon. Right. So take a think about all that effort and then take it into the context of a game, which is interactive instead of just telling you a story where a minor character has, you know, three or 400 lines. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And typically I think for, for voice actors, a day is like four or six hours or something like that. Or yeah. maybe they're shot or they're oh, recorded man, in lot. just like a couple of hours, but there's, there's, there's limits typically set by uh SAG that the Screen Actors Guild, Guild yeah. that uh, are supposed to limit how long you're in studio. And I think part of the frustration is that sometimes these game studios take advantage of the actors and go above and beyond when, or make them make them work above and beyond yeah. what they agreed to. And you can see why too, right? Not not that it's good that they do it, but, but you can see why. Because like just the sheer amount of time that has to go into recording all of that right. dialogue is enormous. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, the incentive is for the company to squeeze out as much of that as possible, which, again, is bad. Shouldn't do it. Um, but for us, that just means, like, we can't do that. Yeah, so to answer That's, the question, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. We'll uh, do more trailers, Well, our, our time is just, we're a small team, and our, our time is just better spent making content instead of rebuilding content from a different angle, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, even, even if we voice. weren't, yeah, exactly. Even if we weren't that small of a team, though. That's still an enormous. We'd have to be a pretty good sized team before this became. Yeah, because you you would need one person probably who their whole thing is just coordinating. Yeah. voice acting. Yeah, yeah. And if you watch the uh, the uh, double fine documentary, the double fine adventure documentary, there's like there's one or two full episodes devoted to 
the voice acting recording for Broken Age, which was a fully voiced game. And it's just super interesting to see that process and to to kind of watch from the from the casting to the actual recording and mm. the you know all of the processing and everything it's uh it's not a small undertaking no, it's big <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all right next question comes from darth binary who asks i have two questions about availability one will the crash ends creator be available on the app or just as a website and two will codename brunch cost money uh crash and creator gonna be a website program <laughs> that is going yeah. to be ideally mobile friendly, yeah. but will undoubtedly function more comfortably on desktop. Yes. It'll be unlike Crashlands, which is feels equally good on every platform. This isn't a browser. So, you know, browsers, are just, it just is what it is. But yeah, we will do our best to make it usable and not a horrible experience yeah. on mobile. But, but it ultimately, be- it's, a, it's a very complex piece of software yeah. that requires a lot of different kinds of inputs and a lot of, you know, a lot of space to use it. And mm-hmm. so it's going to feel absolutely best on a larger screen. Yeah. I mean, the main things are, cause a lot of what you'd be doing is putting in dialogue, which, which requires typing sucks to type. Yeah. Right. Typing sucks on a phone. There's just, yeah. that is truth and will be the truth for, for the first evil. Can't convince mother. <laughs> There's no, as yeah, long as your keyboard occupies half of your screen right. and obscures it's what you're trying to suck. type it. <laughs> uh, so, so there's that problem. The other thing is so a lot of what you'll be doing in the creator is writing dialogue. And the other part of what we'll be doing a lot is editing outposts and outposts are 2d spaces. We're going to be adding lots of tiles and content and stuff. Right. And so the smaller your view is, the less you can Harder. do at once. Um, so yeah, so that, that's the main thing is the two kind of you can do most it on the awesome phone. things. Should you? No. Yeah, probably mm-hmm. not. Don't yeah. do it. But yeah. the I guess as far as how it integrates with Crashlands, mm-hmm. um, I think we're still sussing out the details as far as how you're going to be able to grab the campaigns and stuff. But there'll be some right. there'll be a there'll be an access point to creations from within uh, Crashlands itself. So you don't have to go outside of Crashlands to get stuff. Or if you do, it'll be a very uh, well, simplified process just do. to get campaigns. Yeah, so there's going to be another uh, separate website that's the browser. Right. That you can think of it as like an app store for, uh, Crashlands, for campaigns. Crashlands campaigns. So you'll be able to search it. You'll be able to look at ranked stuff and whatever. And then you can just subscribe to things. So once you're subscribed to a thing, now when you're in the game, it'll appear in your list of games and you can you know, start it. And about it. Yeah. And then just, will Codename Brunch cost money? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're uh, as we, you know, if you couldn't tell from our previous discussion about free mobile games, we're kind of over the whole giving not things away it. for free and um, having everybody not give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. We want to, we want to convey the idea that the stuff that we're making is, is worth it, something. People pay, <laughs> people pay money for that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we and we also don't like the design process that goes into trying to figure out how to re remodify and rebuild all the game systems to to get money out of people from in-app purchases. Yeah, and we've said that this before sucks. too, right? Is that free-to-play games make it so that getting your players to spend money becomes part of the game, yeah. becomes part of the game design, which just it's just not fun. It's really it's not nice a, to design that be able to pay money for a product yeah. and have the product. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then the only design question is, does this make the game better? Does this make the game more fun? Yeah. You don't have to worry. Does this make people less yeah. likely to give us money. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nah, man. Nah. nah. Don't care. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No ads, no IAPs. Just yeah, buy the game. Just play a game. Yeah. All right. Next question from anonymous cut. Uh, it's just from anonymous. I guess. Um, <laughs> is what happened to the caterpillar? Uh, what did happen to the caterpillar? Lenny is perfectly what safe. What caterpillar? Caterpillar. So I found a caterpillar outside my house. There's a melty caterpillar episode a few episodes back. Just if you haven't listened to details. it, go catch up. And it's a huge caterpillar. So I naturally I took it and put it in a box in my house. And it quickly made a cocoon for itself in a pile of leaves. It's now sitting in a Tupperware container on top of my refrigerator. And there Lenny will sit probably until springtime, at which point he slash genderless caterpillar it's right Moth. now a puddle. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know yeah. if you can. Pile of goo will emerge uh, into a beautiful moth of some sort. Did you poke holes in the Tupperware? Yeah. When a caterpillar <laughs> is in a cocoon, does it breathe? Does it breathe? Probably. It's going to have to get some oxygen. It's so. got to have to, yeah. Does it just, just absorb like, oxygen? It's the same thing like an eggs, like a chicken egg. Like a chicken still has to breathe in there. Hmm. How does it Shells do are it? gas permeable. They're what? gas permeable. I like those words together. But they're together. not water permeable? <laughs> but they're not water permeable. What? I didn't know that. Biology's fucking amazing. So eggs breathe? Yeah. Can you hear them? They're like, <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not unfertilized eggs. Yeah, so it's not. Right, There's got to be a chicken <laughs> in here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he just 
just like yeah. holding up to your ear. It was like hearing the ocean, but mostly just <laughs> hearing like a hyperventilating chicken. Or if you hold it, that means you're blocking it. And then you hear the egg being like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <laughs> so if you took an egg with a chicken in it uh-huh. and you just put it in some water, probably, I, would assume it would I assume it would drown. Would it drown? Well, there's oxygen in water. Not very but much. You'd have to dissolve a bunch in Would there. the chicken inside the egg drown? Is it pulling? The question is, what's it using the air for? Because if it's just pushing air out, if it's pushing crap, exhaust Car- carbon dioxide, CO2, oh. pumping that... Yeah. That's one thing. All the if it's parts. pulling stuff mm-hmm. into chicken the parts. egg, then then you have the drowning problem. But as long as they can still push CO out, then who gives a crap? It well, yeah, it there. needs to get oxygen. You probably in. need to get oxygen, but in. it might already have enough oxygen in it. Where does it, it have like an oxygen tank in there? In the egg. That's what yolk's for, man. Yeah, it's got it's true. got goodies in it. It's like a it's like an umbilical cord. We're so do maybe some research if you were this. to okay, so if you were to take an egg and put Further it in water, up, we're not gonna throw a fertilized chicken <laughs> egg into a pot of water. I think we should try. No, <laughs> I don't want to kill a chicken. If you put a battery in there too, okay, well, okay, so you start hydrolyzing the water like underneath the egg, so you just get gas bubbling up, mm-hmm. a little hydrogen, a little oxygen, right? Just bubble it up, then maybe it would be fine. Then you could have a little scuba chicken. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's how scuba chickens are made. And that's and that's what happened to the caterpillar. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh yeah. How did we get over here? And over there. Lenny is fine. I'll get, I'll give an update. When I, my expectation, we'll find out. My expectation is that Lenny's gonna hatch early. Adam thinks that because of the temperature in the house not yeah. actually getting cold, that yep. Lenny's gonna I get agree. confused. My thought not is confused. That it's literally going to generate itself faster. There'll be no confusion. It's just biology happens using chemistry. Lenny's gonna come up like, temperature dependent. That was Fast. That was a short nap. I, I know. Re- kung I do fu. not feel rejuvenated. Although probably its sense of time is just dependent on what happened, so it probably would feel like the same amount of time. Yeah. Or do do moths perceive time? <laughs> <laughs> or do they just not give a fuck and just flap their wings around? They and just land eat your clothes. Them? Yeah. Fuckers. They don't even have mouths. How do they, they eat your clothes then? I don't well, do they even. Ones. What does yeah. a moth Some do? Some of them do have mouths. Lenny will not have a mouth. Lenny will have a proboscis. He exists to mate, and then that is it. He doesn't huh. even know the concept Sad of like life. what yesterday yeah, is. Yeah, he doesn't have an appetite. <laughs> he doesn't have time. He has no, no time. Concept of time. He's he's gonna hatch early out of his chrysalis. There's gonna be nobody to mate with. <laughs> and he's gonna be just lonely and sad and he's gonna die. Probably. What's the timeline? Why, why are What's you the doing life? this? What's to the lifetime of a moth? It's is? supposed to come out in I think February. It's 14 days. They live oh, for 14 days and then so oh if it God. comes out at the wrong time. Oh yeah, it's done. Oh, then you then just you have a pet for two weeks and then it dies. I was gonna say he's fucked, but in that case he's actually not exactly. fucked. Exactly. Nope. Ooh. Hey. Well, he, he is and isn't. But. He is. It's, it depends on how you define the term. All right, next question. We'll do this as a uh, last one. Uh, last from quick, quick question. Me Trump. This is not a quickie, but we're going to do it anyways. What is your take on publishers and their role in the indie industry? Indie industry? Indie industry. Industry. Have you considered using a publisher before? All right, so we, we might need to clarify what is meant by indie here. Because traditionally, indie often meant not having a publisher. Used to, not anymore. Yeah. So now it's now just it doesn't really now mean it just means generally small team, a game made by a small team, smallish. Yeah, yeah. not even that. It's like hundred people and below. <laughs> I think it means you're not EA, Ubisoft, or yeah. That's basically what it is. Is that about? I it? think you can't be a corporation. Oh, you mean but which kind of a corporation? Because we're a corporation. You mean like a publicly traded corporation? Well, we're an evil corporation, though. There's a difference. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe it's a publicly traded thing. Maybe once you're publicly traded, you're no longer. Because huh. now you're beholden to your shareholders. So that means that Valve is an indie. indie yeah, I think technically yeah, Valve but is yeah, but Valve if, is an indie. But if being. If but having, they're also a publisher, which happens a lot, too. Well, let me ask you well, this, we're, though. We're our own publisher. Because yeah. having shareholders basically means that somebody outside of your group gets to somehow influence the things that you make. Right. Right. So that you're not indie. So you're not indie anymore. Does the same thing apply to if you, if, if you get a loan or, or if you have venture capital funding, yes. like if somebody invests in your studio, so I think you'd still technically be indie. If they get decision making capability, because that's what a publisher is. Yeah. In a sense, they're now a stakeholder and they're like, Hey, I'm going to get a, a cut of your game. And I'm also going to make sure that well, you do it well. But let's talk about that though, because here's the interesting thing about publishers in the indie industry, in, indies, in the indie, indie space. industry, which is that there are a lot of publishers who don't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, I'm going to take a third of your money 
Maybe half. I'm going to take half of your money. I'm going to tell you a bunch of scary stories and about what happens when you don't have a publisher. And then I'm not going to do Which anything for you. that's the service I provide. Mm-hmm. When the game fails, I still get some payment, and I didn't do anything for the last two years to make it. So I'm going to ride off in the sunset, give me some more indies, and that'll be that. And yeah. then your incentive as a publisher is to publish as many things as possible, which just means you're under contract to get 30% of the revenue from as many yeah, games as possible. I would say if you are an independent developer and you are considering going with a publisher, there's one circumstance where you should consider it, which is if they are willing to fund your development yeah. Yeah, and, and they, pay you something up front. Yep. Yeah. If they refuse to front any money at all. Then they don't believe they can sell your game. Exactly. Yeah. If they if they won't front any money but still demand a cut of the revenue and they claim they're going to somehow give you marketing power or something, you should be very skeptical because that means yeah, they have no confidence yep. in their cap- capability to actually. Yep. Yeah. And sell marketing the game. marketing is usually very nebulous unless it's really really clearly defined in your publishing mm-hmm. contract of what exactly they're going to do for you. Mm-hmm. Um in a lot of cases, I mean the the most benefit that you can get from a publisher is if they have really good relationships with the platforms like we yeah. were saying mm-hmm. before about, you know, the the your position on the on the front page or whatever if they can work out deals or something, but beyond that, if they can't guarantee which well, no one can guarantee exactly, that. Yeah. Um, then it's it's too risky, I think, to to just give somebody most yeah. of your money. Well, and, and people, I think, are kind of under under the mistaken belief that publishers are magic, right? Like somehow, if you have a publisher, they can make your game successful, and that sometimes that might be true. But even one publisher won't be successful in selling one game from the next necessarily, right? It's a it's in a lot of ways. It's a crapshoot always. Um, like so historically, it was exactly what it is. Historically, what this, the publishing industry, the reason it existed was because it's very hard and very costly and very risky to get a product that somebody makes as a small team or an individual to the people who want to buy it, right? And you, and it's nobody knows how to identify a likely success versus a likely failure. So the job of a publisher is to basically spread that risk across a whole bunch of products, mm-hmm. right? So that the most successful books and things, Nick like Stephen King, right? Fund the failures also from that same and that publisher. Gives, and that gives them the opportunity to be able to take risks on things that they think might succeed. Exactly. No. But that means that they have authors, to be taking a risk. Otherwise, if they're, if they're leaving the risk on the developer's shoulder and not actually taking any of the risk off by funding your development, for example. Yeah, which is, that, that seems to be the model that most publishers nowadays use where they're like, we'll publish your game for you, we'll take a third of it and we'll do marketing things. Yeah. Which is literally, this is this has been we had we've had, yeah, we've had that pitch yeah. way more times. And we than say, we what, what are you going to do? What's the marketing? And then, of course, they can't guarantee anything. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're not actually paying for anything. Like, we're not p- putting ads anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're not. Gonna, we're just going to PR it, you we're know? We're going to PR it. We're like, okay, so we can pay $3,000 to a PR firm and have that done. So why would we why give, would we you, give 30% you 30% of all of, of our all money? Of our <laughs> for all of time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the only, the only situation in which that is an okay thing to do is if you, as an indie developer know for a fact that you're not going to sell a single copy of your own game and that's like the only risk like if you if you're not expecting to make any money on your game and you just want to fucking make a game and get whatever help that you can from somebody who might have a little bit more experience than you mm-hmm. because you have zero interest in marketing and zero interest in I think in that case still get the publisher that's going to pay you well that yeah. too yeah. But yeah, like that's just, the only like, situation where I can see that being of any value whatsoever is if you just want to like wash your hands of your game after you're done making mm-hmm. it. I think there's only one publisher we talked to. We talked to, you know, we ended up talking to quite a few when we were in the midst of crashing development, mainly out of curiosity. Um, we just wanted to see what they were offering. Yeah, because we, we knew a bunch of our indie buddies who had gone to publisher before and some of them had had good experiences, some bad um, Some very bad. Some terrible. Mm. And well, there's only thought one they had good experiences, but you can't do the experiment of publishing with and without a publisher. Right. And I think there's there's only one, and it was it was by far like the highest rated one uh, in the industry who actually offered us money for finishing dev. Hmm. Just one of the like seven. And that was the only serious conversation we had that lasted more than like 40 minutes with the person. Well, and and among, the, among the things that they were offering were things like um, they have a, a large team of basically sort of hired gun programmers where mm-hmm. if you want to bring your game to another platform or something, mm-hmm. then they will just put their, you just send them the source code and they'll just put their team on it and port it to yeah. other and platforms. they fund or, the ports. Yes. They, really they nice. fund it. And then because they're like, well, we're getting a cut from the sales on all these platforms. Yeah. So it's we'll just it. do it. Yeah, they right? should, they, if you're getting a publisher, they should, be 
paying for something. They should be providing yeah. a <laughs> suite. Yeah, they yeah. should be providing a suite of services, and that's where they're. And we should say though that publishers, I mean, you can negotiate a you know huge range of what their cut will actually be, and and their cut should be dependent on what they are going to provide for you and what you need as a studio. Because if all you need is some PR, that's not worth fucking thirty percent of your game. No, game it's not at all. That's worth pay a flat five, fee 10%. to a to a better enough. It's a PR fee, company. right? But if you can't <laughs> afford a fee because you don't have any money, then because this is the thing is if your game is going to be successful, then having a publisher basically just means, because again, they're, they're distributing risk, right? Which means they're taking money from the most successful games and then using that to fund the risk of the, the less successful. Unless games. they aren't paying any of them anything. Unless they're bringing <laughs> them. Uh, but but what that does mean though is that it, it's an efficiency money. problem, right? Because that means that if your game could have been successful without a publisher, then you would be making a lot more money than having to lose 30% of it and so on. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be spending a lot more than it just costs to do that stuff. Uh, so getting a publisher is really important if you just don't have the capital and need it. Or if there's a service you can't provide for yourself and don't have the capital just to do a one-off purchase mm-hmm. of that thing. Or if all of it is just too risky for you and you do have the capital but can't throw $3,000 at a PR firm, uh, I'm not sure it's a good idea anyway. It's a different question. <laughs> but yeah. uh, if you can't, <laughs> if you could do that but aren't sure it's going to come back to you and would rather take the risk of just knowing guaranteed that you're going to lose 30% of your revenue mm-hmm. but maybe make that money back, right? Yeah. I think a so good example is uh, Stardew Valley, which was developed yeah. by one person over four or five years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end, I think he had a kind of like what you were talking about, Carol, about he was not convinced that it was necessarily going to do well or anything. And he didn't need to, and he thought he needed some extra help. Mm-hmm. So he brought in Chucklefish, uh, mm-hmm. and they provided a whole bunch of services, beta testing, and they have, um, a bunch of games under their portfolio already that are already doing very well. And his game also fit very well with the types of games that they put out. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, they helped him make his game successful. Yeah. Right? That was a great so, relationship. In that game. And it turned out very well for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Vet you know? the publishers well and make sure that they actually yeah. know what they're doing yeah. and are willing to back up their mm-hmm. promises. And remember, just because a publisher has a set of good games doesn't mean they're actually good at selling games because some games could be successful on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And so a good publisher might just be good at identifying yeah. games that are going to be you successful. Still need to, money. You, yeah, you yeah. still need to evaluate what it is that they're going to be doing yeah. for you. And the same goes so. for the PR firms that we're talking about and other mm-hmm. other services that yep, you might absolutely. hire. Like, just because they have a good portfolio doesn't mean that that portfolio wasn't supported by itself. Yep. And don't believe all the scary stories that they'll tell you about, about what's going to happen if you don't use their services because mm-hmm. they have an incentive to embellish. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's the uh, last question it. of the day. So uh, thank Wee! you everybody for listening. Subscribe. And once, yeah. Once again, subscribe to our stuff. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Google Play. Go leave us a rating, please, so that other people can accidentally yeah. discover this. Give us some podcast. of those delicious stars. <laughs> and ask us some questions on podcast.bscotch.net. And we'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.